Right-Hearted with me, Stuart Wakefield, and I am delighted to have with me today uh, an eclectic blogging witch from London, Lucia Starza. Uh, Lucia, thank you for coming on. Um, I always, whenever I meet a writer, the first question I ask is, how did you start writing? Well, I've, I think I've always loved writing. I mean, even when I was a little child, I was always writing short stories and I loved English at school. It was one of my favourite subjects. I did. Um, I went to university and I did comparative literary studies and drama. Um, and after I left university, I did an evening class at the London College of Printing in journalism um, uh, while working as an editorial assistant on Girl About Town, which was one of those um, free magazines I used to hand out at the stations back in the 1980s. Um, so I, I kind of always wanted to work in writing. And, and for a lot of my career, I've really worked on newspapers and magazines as um, a feature writer and as a sub-editor. Um, but I've also, um, I, I wrote quite a few uh, role-playing game scenarios that were published by Chaosium when I was younger. Uh, and and um, then uh, as I got older, I had to look after my mum because she was disabled. So I had to give up. I was um, at that time working as a production coordinator on a, a motor magazine. Um, and it was a really full on uh, full time job. And I, I had to look after my mum. So I uh, had to give that up and look for work that I could do from home started doing a lot of freelance copy editing, a bit of freelance writing. Um, and I started working for a, um, um, a new age pagan publishing company, uh, John, Hunt um, John Hunt Publishing. Um, and they had just started the imprint Moon Books and they were looking for a freelance proofreader and copy editor. So that was, that was really, that was really up my street. Um, I actually also started writing the blog when I was looking after my mum because it was something that I could do from home and um, it was some writing I could do. Um, I think in the early days I was hoping that I could earn a lot of money from blogging and you, you right. can't. I earn a bit, but you, you can't earn a lot from blogging. But it's a little bit. Um, and then after a while I um, suggested that I write um, a book for Moon Books because um, I am a, a Wiccan. But um, I'm an eclectic witch as well. Uh, I've been um, a witch for quite a few years. I joined a Wiccan coven when I was in my 20s. Um, and I put forward the idea of writing a book about candle magic. And they said yes. And it, um, it, 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 it sold quite well. And I've written a few others um, over the years. Um, and then just recently, just really uh, last year, I went back to writing a little bit for um, role-playing games again because I've uh, written um, a section on London for the uh, Rivers of London role-playing game, which Chaosium is producing based on the Ben Aranovich books. And this year I've started writing a novel, which is it's the first time I've started writing and it's the first time I've written a novel. I'm about halfway through now. Uh, so, yeah, uh, that's my writing in a nutshell. Okay. I'm, I'm interested because uh, I often hear a lot of journalists end up writing novels. Is that something you've kind of observed as well? And why do you think that might, might happen? I think everyone who writes has a novel in them. 
the reason why I put off writing a novel for so long is because I was aware there is not so much money in it. I mean, when I was um, at the London College of Printing, one of the things we were taught is never write anything unless you think you can earn some money out of it. And I think it's quite difficult to earn money out of a novel. I do think that's changed because I've got a lot of friends, particularly um, actually my Moon Books fellow authors, who, although their non-fiction books are professionally published with traditional publishing companies, they actually find that they earn more money self-publishing through um, something like Kindle Direct Publishing if they do a novel. And some of them actually do quite well um, uh, that way. So I think things have changed because I think at one time you, you spent a lot of time trying to get a traditional publisher to take on a novel. And, you know, it could be really hard and most people don't succeed. And if, if they do, the royalties should get it quite low. Whereas if you yeah. if you do self-publish, uh, there's, because it's, it's KDP, there's no really upfront costs. And so even every little bit of royalties you earn is... is is profit so I think I mean I don't know that's what I'm told yeah. I haven't written a novel yet but it, I'm I'm testing it out it makes me sound really mercenary um and I'm not I write because I love writing <laughs> but I, I do also need to pay the bills <laughs> yes yeah yeah exactly. yeah exactly I mean I think I was able to publish my last novel I think it was for 99 cents because I bought um an image uh, for the cover, everything else I managed to do on my own. So, yeah, I mean that that kind of point of entry, uh, and also, I and mean, I know for, you know, sort of fantasy is is getting you know, well, I guess it's always been very big, but games of Th- Game of Thrones has really helped it. Um, and I don't know what your kind of colleagues have, have been publishing. I noticed John Hunt Publishing does some some fiction. Uh, you know, has some fiction uh, imprints as well. Um, but as you say, sometimes that that point of entry and what, what you're saying, like, you know, royalties of 35, 70% for a self-published author, you know, if you kind of find your niche market and they already know you perhaps from some some non-fiction stuff they're interested in, they're much more likely to, to, to buy from you. Um, I am interested in the, the kind of particular books that you've you've uh written um can we start with the one about candle magic yep let me um there we go and um i actually take the pictures for my own covers as well so i don't pay anyone for that i I, i'm quite a keen amateur photographer uh so that's candle magic uh that was my first pagan book that was published and um it's actually um it, it recently became a best bestseller John Hunt Publishing considers anything that's sold about 5,000 copies to be a bestseller, and that has sold nearly 6,000 copies now. It, it does sell steadily every month, um, uh, a, between roughly between 80 and 120 copies a month. Sometimes it'll sell more. A couple of months ago, it sold about 400 copies in a month, which I think it always sells well okay. in the winter because people like candles more in the winter. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and so in, in terms of merchandising, um, I think I remember you saying when we spoke another time that they tend to put your books by the candles and people are much more likely to kind of, you know, pick them up and be interested in them. Uh, yes. Um, when 
physical bookshops are open. Treadwell's bookshops has been really, um, really great at stocking my books. Um, I've, I've run candle magic classes there too. I used to run regular candle magic workshops based on the material in my books. Um, and, um, but yes, they, Treadwell's has a um, display of uh, colored candles that you can buy um, with different with lists of different correspondences. So like, you know, perhaps you might do a pink or a green candle for love magic. People think green's a bit strange, but Venus, the goddess of love, is associated with color green. Uh, so, yeah, um, okay. it's going into too much depth, but you get the idea. Right, right. <laughs> and then how do those sales compare to your others? Because I know one of your others is about sort of poppets and dolls. And, and again, I wondered if, you know, people have that association with dolls as voodoo dolls, but obviously you have a quite a particular view because the sort of etymology of the word poppet is is very different. Yeah. Um, yes, that's my Poppets and Magical Dolls book. Yes, um, poppets is really the traditional uh, name for a doll used for magic. It dates back to about medieval times. Uh, and the, the word... Poppet and the word puppet both come from the same source, really. But back in medieval times, the word poppet was used for a, a child's toy as well as a, a doll used in magic. Um, and so it really is the traditional kind of traditional English word for a magical doll. And really, the word voodoo doll, it, it's, it, it's not really a very accurate term. It was, I mean, voodoo okay. and the folk magic practice of hoodoo they do use dolls, but they don't really call them voodoo dolls as such. Um, and it's not a primary, a primary thing in, in the religion or the folk magic practice. Um, uh, they are used. They definitely are used. But um, it was kind of a term that was coined by American and European writers in the 20th century, writing perhaps slightly sensationalist books about um folk magic practices in uh, um you know haiti or that kind of thing right and then how do you um obviously you know you have you have an interest and you say you know you you joined a wiccan coven when you were in your sort of in your 20s um a couple of questions something i wanted to, to kind of clear up for me is um, I was watching a program yesterday that kind of it's fiction um, where a group of satanic witches face off against a group of pagan witches. Oh, and I've heard yeah. the term, obviously you've, you've used, used the term today, Wiccan. I've also heard white, um, uh, pagan and hedge. Is, is there a, like a particular distinction? Um, I think... Because there are so many, at one time, um, probably most modern pagan witches, which is kind of the broad general term for all witches that are living in contemporary times and associated as being pagan, um, most of them probably did follow a Wiccan style type of magic. Um, Wicca was really um, a term popularized or really coined by although he did borrow on some older sources by Gerald Gardner 
uh, back in the uh, early to mid 20th century. Uh, he was very, very um, fascinated by um, uh, traditional witchcraft practices and um, uh, met up with a group of people in the New Forest who called themselves a coven, um, who okay. um, he joined. So he, he did actually join a, a, a coven of witches um they probably weren't an ancient coven of witches but he might have believed they were ancient they probably only uh had probably only been around for um anything from a few a couple of decades to perhaps a couple of generations but i think gerald gardner believed that they had very ancient roots um and certainly a lot of their practices would have borrowed on traditional folk magic Anyway, he um, wanted to, he was really, really keen to kind of um, create a, a, a magical system from this. And he, um, first of all, wrote a, a novel um, which was about witchcraft practices and then wrote nonfiction books, um, uh, Witchcraft Today, about um, modern pagan witchcraft and Wicca. Um, and it really, it really took off. It really caught people's imaginations. And although the press gave witches a really hard time, they really did. Some of the newspapers were just pretty mm. horrible finding, you know, publishing um, yeah. people's private addresses and things like that. And so they'd get hate mail and things like that. It's pretty really? Out of order. Oh, yeah. Yeah, pretty out of order. Okay. Um, uh, but... I think it really it really caught it really caught the imagination of people and it really it created a new religion, although it's based on ancient some ancient traditions. It is a new religion and it um spread particularly to America and there weren't enough cov like covens of the Gardnerian line for people to join. So um people like um Cunningham wrote uh, uh sort of, um, I think it was a guide for the solitary practitioner, so that um, people who couldn't find a coven to join could read about the um, what Wiccans did and um, okay. practice in a similar way. But nowadays, yeah, it, it has really changed a lot. Um, you get lots of different paths of witches. Now, the term white witch is a little bit old-fashioned. I think a lot of people would say, oh, there's white witches and there's black witches and white witches only do good magic like healing and black witches only do cursing and things. Well, I mean, realistically, I think, although most modern witches believe that it's really pretty antisocial to go around cursing people, um, <laughs> it's, it's not that you only do one or the other. I mean, you know, if someone did something really vile to you, if someone did something really vile to me, I would certainly consider cursing them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, and then what's hedge witch? Okay, hedge witch is, that term was pretty much started by someone called Ray Beth, who wrote a book on hedge witchcraft. And it, in her way of looking at it, it was kind of, a type of eclectic witchcraft, which is a little, a lot of them were very Wiccan style back then, which is a bit Wiccan style, but not initiatory, perhaps solitary and large and quite nature based. So there'd be quite a lot of herbal magic, that kind of thing. Other people have taken the term to mean 
um, using a term which I believe comes from heathenism, um, the term hedge riding, which means kind of shamanic journeying. And so they consider hedge witchcraft to be a more shamanic type of um, traditional witchcraft. So it can mean different things. And there are loads of other different terms as well. I mean, you'll get people who call themselves kitchen witches, and they probably spend a lot of time in the kitchen um, baking, like creating food that's got um, herbs in it that would be, you know, healing or whatever, um, making potions, that kind of thing. Okay, good. And I will say, you know, I was doing a bit of bit of research myself, and I also found in terms of poppets about sort of kitchen. I think they're called kitchen dolls, like yeah. a Scandinavian thing that would be be put up to sort of ward off any particularly evil um, doings. Yeah, they um, were very popular in Germany. There is an old. Um, what um, I think it's from the sixteenth century, might be the seventeenth century, but there is uh, somebody's. Um, in an inventory after someone died, or it might be their will, lists one witchy in the kitchen. Um, and so kitchen witch dolls seem to have had quite a long tradition. And I think what the idea was, uh, and it's quite a common idea, that if you hang up something scary, it's going to scare off nasty things. It's going to scare off evil spirits or, you know. So putting a scary witch hanging up in your window will scare off, evil spirits or you know it's kind of pretty much the same as kind of gargoyles in churches might might be or um pumpkins at halloween okay okay good um i'm also really interested in i mean i've never written non-fiction i mean obviously you know when i used to have a day job i um you know you write sort of user manuals and things like that but um what kind of disciplines do you need to be able to write a non-fiction book in your view? Oh, um, well, I think whatever you're writing, you need to be able to write in an entertaining way. Um, and I, right. I actually think that's, it depends what market. If you're writing a popular non-fiction book, then being able to write in a, an entertaining way is perhaps more important than being factually accurate that sounds really awful but i think it's true if you're writing academic books okay. then obviously you yeah. being doing really good research um is is far more important i mean i try to keep a balance i do have an ma i i've got an ma in um, english literature um and I, I've also got a very, an interest in history. I'm not a historian, but I've got an interest in history and I do like doing research. Um, so I, I do try. And also I'm, I'm trained as a journalist. So, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm trained to, you know, try and get the facts. But I suppose my journalistic training is I'm also trained to get an angle. Um, okay. And so they, they're all different and so I think it, mm. it does depend on your audience but yeah I mean do try and get your facts right because if you don't get your facts right someone's gonna mm. you know really rip a hole in it <laughs> <laughs> I, I always think one of the one of the tricky things particularly about you know writing about a religion is that so many of the them are open to interpretation um do you ever find that your readership sort of come back and challenge you on some of the things that you've written Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, especially on my blog, because they can leave comments. Um, I mean, it doesn't always happen. But, oh, gosh, yes, you can get some. Yeah. you. At one point, I was getting far more 
kind of real trollish comments and I was getting, you know, it nearly, it nearly made me give up because no one was saying, I really like your blog. And people were just saying like, I mean, I got some really vile mail when I blogged about a community garden and I thought that blogging about a community garden was a really nice thing to do. But I got some really horrible comments right. that asked me to take my post down because they didn't want a witch blogging about their community garden because it might give the wrong impression that people thought there were witches there and um, could have take the post down. <laughs> <laughs> How odd. How odd. Um, and then I mean, the, the, the first episode of Right Hearted, we're talking about, you know, emotional resilience and bravery how, how do you kind of deal when you get confronted with that kind of stuff so, because for me I don't get a lot of di- direct contact I get obviously I, I see reviews and you know those really stick with me if you if someone's giving you grief particularly on your blog and you said that you almost gave up what how do you deal with those and what kind of kept you like what got you through that and kept you blogging time um uh i think now it's because my blog is a really good platform to promote my other writing um that again sounds horribly mercenary but it is and um i think you you have to build you to be an author you have to get a bit of a thick skin but you know i mean with my poppet book i think somebody who I mean, Amazon, Amazon reviews can be another thing that you can get some vile trolls posting Amazon reviews. And within an hour of my poppet book um, being available on Amazon, somebody who couldn't possibly have read it from cover to cover posted a one star review saying there's more information on Wikipedia, which is really untrue. (laughs) I spent weeks in weird and wonderful libraries looking through old books um to research my poppet book um i went i went to the museum of witchcraft in boss castle i went to a conference on poppets i i i did so much research um so it was grossly untrue Mm. um i mean and it did affect my sales because you know if the only review there is something that says it's rubbish it didn't affect my sales early on. Since then, I've got lots of really good reviews for it. And it now sells about as well as my Candle Magic book, month on month. I mean, it's only sold about okay. 2,000 copies to date, but it's it's catching up. Right. Um, one of the things I noticed around, I think it was the kind of subtitle, and, you know, we spoke earlier about, you know, poppets and sort of voodoo dolls having that a particular um, connotation. was interested to see that it, it talks about um, helping, healing and harming. So from the helping in, and healing point of view, it kind of put a different spin on things for me. Um, so do you find that those sort of negative connotations starts our way? Or do you think that message is getting out there that, you know, this isn't just about sticking pins in, you know, a doll and wishing someone harm? Um, I think the message is out there more. I think there's a lot more awareness of poppets. Actually, one of the things that started it was Sabrina. They use a lot of poppets in Sabrina, uh, the TV show. Um, And yeah, they do use them for curses there, but, um, I think that 
increase the awareness of poppets. But yes, you. the thing is, what a poppet is, it's, it's a symbolic representation of a person. It's like sympathetic magic, so that something looks like something can have an effect on something. So that if you've got a little doll, say somebody's in hospital, they're ill, and they ask you to send healing wishes to them, but you can't go and visit them. Uh, what you can do is you can make a little doll um, to represent them and you can do a spell perhaps you could light a candle for healing you could um sprinkle herbs or put herbs inside the poppet that had a healing connotation and you can visualize the healing going to that person through the doll and that's quite traditional back in medieval times people if they were unwell would sometimes make little wax effigies either of themselves or a part of the body that they'd hurt and leave them at sacred sites at temples or um, cathedrals um so that the healing energy from that place would continue to heal them while they were perhaps off working in the fields and couldn't be at the sacred site all the time right um i was interested in in what you said about research and you know having to do research that maybe other people might not have, have, have encountered. So uh, you mentioned, obviously, you know, you're reading a lot of, you know, really old books and going to specific museums for specific things and conferences. To what extent it kind of immersing yourself in that research gives you ideas for other projects? Um, yeah, yes, it, it does. Um, I, I... It does a bit, um, but I can. When I'm really caught up in a project, I'm. I'm really. I really do enjoy being really caught up in a project, um, and so not too much. I mean, I. I do know some people who've got umpteen books on the go because they start one and then start another, and I, I'm not really. I'm not really like that. <laughs> okay, right. I, I've got something like eight. <laughs> <laughs> but again i think that might be a, a procrastination thing because i have an idea for something and i'm like oh you know that that's very shiny i'll go and have a look at that for a while and I'm, I'm starting to wonder if it's it's a way to avoid finishing the thing that i'm working on um do you think that kind of dedication to one project at one time sort of comes out of your sort of journalistic background uh, I've, I've kind of always been a bit um, I think I think it's just me. Um, I think I'm I can be a bit single-minded about things, and I can get quite absorbed in a project, and okay. don't want to do anything else except that project. Right. I, I think it's just me and the way my brain works. <laughs> <laughs> I really wish I was more like you, Lucy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just all over the place. It's just I it's... actually need to be more. Um, less single-minded because um i i at the moment i i often have two or three writing projects that i you know i've got contracts for like um i'm supposed to be writing a tourist guide to esoteric london i've had the obviously it's not the time at the moment and the last year has not been the time to write a tourist guide to esoteric london so that's been on the back burner but now i'm going to have to start writing that again because the publisher is going to say you know you can get out now you can go catch a bus somewhere you know you go to the british library do your research get that book written 
Um, uh, <laughs> and also I've just um, been asked to write um, another Moon Books um, title, Pagan Portal's Wheel of the Year. Uh, so, and, and obviously I, I have some role-playing things that I've been writing as well. So I, I kind of need to, I, the way I work on that is I will probably set aside a few hours a day for each project. So it's like, okay, in the morning I write my blog because that's that's my routine. In the morning I write my blog post. And then perhaps in the morning I will work on one book and in the afternoon I'll work on another book. That's probably my way. But I think every I think everyone gets their own way of writing. I don't think there's a right way or a wrong way. I think it's just whatever works yes. for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have been contacted by a couple of writers who kind of get sort of bound up by the rules. And I really hate the rules of writing. And particularly, not so much, you know, editors and publishers and things like that, but the people who set themselves up as like the gateway or like the the experts. And I'm always very careful when I talk to writers to say, this is what works for me. And what works for me won't necessarily work work for you. I do have a question though about your blog because I'm dreadful at blogging, and I you 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 talked about get, getting into a routine. When you sit down to write your blog in the morning, is it kind of what comes to you, or do you have a plan for roughly what you're going to be blogging about and when? Yeah. I do very much. I mean, I've been blogging for about 15 years now. Um, so back in the early days, it was like, oh, goodness, what am I going to write about? But, yes, yeah, so I mean, like what, when every Wednesday is my events page, so I, I write about um, pagan and witchy, weird, wonderful and witchy events. Um, and at the okay. moment, most of them are online. I mean, that's brilliant. So whereas at one time I was blogging about, because I'm in London, um, I was blogging about London events, so things you could physically go to in London. Nowadays, um, they're all over the place, and it doesn't matter where they are. And there's, you know, apart from the time zone difference. Um, and so, yeah. every Wednesday is my events page. So I, I, pr I mostly compile that the day before, because it takes quite a long while to check websites, you know, check Eventbrite, check Facebook. You know, look at my look at my regulars um, and update that. <laughs> um, so that's that. And um, I, I also have other things that I do quite regularly. Like I um, I do a pagan eye post, which is like a, a picture, and that can be a picture someone send in. It could be um, a, a I mean, Wicca is a nature religion. Um, we celebrate the cycles of nature. So it could be a beautiful place out in nature that they photographed, or it could be a witchy item that they just bought, or when you can go to pagan events, a pagan event, a picture from a pagan event they've been to, um, and things that I've seen and done. Okay. So that yeah. there's that. Uh, I sometimes go through the news and do a listing of news items that are relevant, like if there's been a a new stone circle found by archaeologists or um, if um, um, right. or, or, or perhaps like something about a new book that's come out, things like that. I also do okay. blog about right. good because no, it's not just events and books and stuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I blog about spells and, and rituals and festivals and thoughts about witchcraft. Right. Um, uh, something that happened yesterday, and I wanted to just kind of get your view on this. 
so it sounds like you know it's quite you know a, a, a tight community and you know we talked about your one star review which might be somebody had a particular dislike for you or felt you know like kind competition with you I, I was thinking about you know m- my own blog and how I could you know make it a bit more um you know, n- not not just about me and what I'm doing and I was thinking about reviewing other writers books and then a part of me thought that's a really bad idea because if I do that I mean I could really rub somebody up the wrong way and un- unintentionally do, would you ever consider sort of doing something like that or would you m- tend to more mention that a book is coming out okay I have changed my um what I do on my blog I used to regularly write book reviews um okay. and nowadays I occasionally do book reviews but mostly I do book extracts and it's largely for that reason it's it's particularly awful if a friend a fellow author has written a book and asked you to write a review and you think oh my god this is awful and you can't say that um but if you put an extract on your on the blog then readers can choose for themselves whether it's it's right for them or not um so yeah it it, it and also reading a book and then writing a review takes a long time um it, it, it is yes, i agree <laughs> secret secrets of, of, of cheap blogging you know do, do things that don't take too much <laughs> I, I think the problem i have certainly with blogging is i think about it as kind of throwaway work rather than than work um you used a, a term about you know don't do any don't do any writing that you're not going to get paid for has your opinion of your blog or your relationship with your blog changed over time do you now see it as a money-making um not exercise but something that allows you to generate you know extra revenue it does earn a bit of it you can monetize blogs i don't go wholeheartedly down that route um okay but yes, I, I do. I, I'm an Amazon associate. And if you put a little, you can put a link at the bottom of the post. So you get a tiny, tiny bit if someone buys a book through the link. Yeah. Um, you can put Google ads on your blog. And I do um, mm-hmm. You get a tiny, tiny bit from that. It, it, you know, it's, okay. I suppose, um, 20, 30 pounds a month, you know. Okay. Yeah, that, that's better than nothing. That's definitely something I should. <laughs> I mean, you know, sometimes my royalties will will only be uh, be that because I'm also terrible at marketing. But um, okay, so how did your novel come about? Because you've you know you've very much been in the, the nonfiction world. What was like the point where you thought, okay, I'm I'm ready to start a, a piece of fiction? Uh, lockdown. <laughs> Right. Okay. Basically, um, January. Oh gosh, we've got another long lockdown. What am I going to do? Okay. Well, um, I decided I was going to do a. Um, I decided two things. I'm going to do a online course with Coursera. I've done some online courses with Coursera before, okay. and they're free courses run by universities, and they're they're pretty good. Um, and I thought, okay, I'll do that, mm-hmm. and I've got to write another book. 
start writing another book. And I went and looked at Coursera and there's a course, write a novel in 26 weeks. I thought, oh, well, okay, signing up for that. Um, and um, yeah, that's what I've been doing. <laughs> right, okay. And is it kind of connected to what you're already writing about or is it completely divorced? Yeah, it's very much connected. I thought I'm writing a chapter a week. I have to write about what I know. And so it's it's kind of a okay. modern day gothic story about a group of young people living in a, a seaside town. Um, I lived in Whitstable and then Herne Bay when I was um, a student and just afterwards um, because I was at um, the University of Kent at Canterbury okay. for my degree. Um, and so it, it it's knowledge of that um, anyway they um something i didn't do they find the uh, remains of a an ancient burial on some cliffs um and okay. decide not to um tell the police or the authorities um and then um some horrific things start to happen it's i i kind of think of it as being a cross between shallow grave and a warning to the curious okay Mm, okay, good. I'm, I'm gonna gonna have to wait for this one. <laughs> so um, I mentioned earlier, you know, John Hunt Publishing, you know, have have some different imprints. Do you think you would pursue a traditional publishing route, or do you think you will self publish? I'll self publish. Um, John Hunt Publishing okay. doesn't really like publishing fiction, and generally okay. speaking, if you want to publish fiction through them, you have to pay something towards the production costs. Um, okay. and uh, it's because they don't really earn much money on fiction. It's not really their okay. forte. Um, and they run mm. everything on quite a, quite a tight budget, but you know, they're up front, you know, they, they, you know, they're not, they're not, yes. you know, they tell you what, what the situation is, um, which is why quite, right. a, <laughs> um, quite a lot of, um, authors who publish nonfiction with moon books, just choose to publish their fiction um the indie route right okay and you know and we also you know spoke about point of entry and obviously you know uh, royalties and all that kind of stuff um i'm assuming that the work you do on role-playing games is like a a, a flat fee and you don't or, uh, get any royalties on those yeah absolutely you get a flat fee um yeah, well, and I mean, okay. I don't. Again, you you can't earn very much money from role playing and um, from writing role playing stuff. I like doing it. Um, yeah, I I really like mm -hmm. doing it. Um, I like I like writing for Chaosium too. They they've been a a good company to work for, and um, you know, it's um, when you have the um, when we were working on the Rivers of London role playing game, you'd have like Zoom meetings and. You know, you're all a bunch of role players. So, yes, it's a work meeting, but you're still chatting about your games and things like that. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. I'm I'm uh, dungeon master mastering a, a game for the Alien uh, RPG. And if I'm really honest, I am winging it completely. Like, I'll, I'll do a little bit of, of planning, but, I mean, the players are always going to take you off in, in a different direction. And I do sit there and I think, do you know what? There's probably a novel in this. Mm, yeah. Mm. So, yeah, that's definitely something that 
that I need to consider. <laughs> so uh, what other projects do you have lined up? Obviously, you know, you're working, you're very active on your, your blog and you're working on your um, your novel now. Obviously, we talked about your lockdown um, project um, ending up on hold because your you know your guide to esoteric London. What what other projects can you tell us about that you might have in the pipeline? Um, that that's actually it. Now, and to be honest, I'm a little bit like a little bit scared at how hard I'm going to have to work over the next year um, <laughs> with all of those things. Um, I, I mean, I would love to go and do a PhD. I would really love to do a PhD, but I'm I gave up looking because. I've got so much other right. Work. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I'm, 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 I'm kind of with you on that because I kind of did my MA. I mean, don't get me wrong; I learned a lot on my MA, but I kind of did it just because I wanted to say I had an MA, and I have been looking at PhDs. But, you know, for me, being a, you know, a gay romance author, I just think like, I wouldn't even know what project to, to, to kind of put forward. And again, I sit there and I think, do I really just want a PhD so I can get away with somebody calling me doctor? <laughs> I know what you mean. I mean. It gives you a lot, you know, it, it gives you that bit of respectability, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I think if you are going to be, you know, running workshops, obviously, you know, you, you mentioned some candle magic, magic workshops that you were doing at Treadwells. Um, I I think that it does give you some weight because I think if people are paying their own money, and I think I might mention this in a, in a previous podcast, but um, if I'm at work and I'm going on a course, I don't think twice about who my instructor is because that's their job. Their job is to train you, whether or not they've actually done that, done that subject. But if it's my money, I want to know that you know what, what you're talking about. Um, and, yeah, I, I do think, you know, MAs and PhDs kind of help you, um, you know, do that if you decide to supplement your income in different ways. How did your classes at Treadwell um, Treadwells come about? Um, well, when my book on candle magic was published i asked um christina uh about possibly having a launch event and she said well we normally charge for launch events but i'll tell you what we'll do a deal you run a candle magic workshop and i'll give you a free launch event um which okay, was great fantastic. and um it yeah the workshop sold out and so i've gone back and done them since and um get paid for teaching classes which is nice um and it's nice because you interact with yeah. people you know you uh, I, I love yeah i love working at treadwells um i I'm, I'm really hoping that i can go back and um you know uh, treadwells will be opening its physical doors again um in a couple of months they're still um sorting things out mostly selling yeah. online and doing online courses okay. um but yeah i really hope that okay there'll be workshops again there you know, that people can go to. Good, good. So uh, we've talked about the blog and I'll put some some links in the uh, you know, either description if you're watching or the show notes if you're listening. Um, where else can people find you? Um, well, you've got my blog, um, www.badwitch.co.uk. 
Um, they can find my author page on John Hunt Publishing, Lucia Starza. Um, okay. I'm mm-hmm. I'm on Twitter um, at Bad Witch One Two Three Four. I'm on Facebook as Lucia Starza. I'm on Instagram as Starza Lucia. That's because I set up a Lucia Starza account and then forgot the passwords. I was going to set up another one, but I don't. That was actually. <laughs> Yeah, um, but that actually, it's it's not so, it's more general pictures that I post. So, like, um, you'll get pictures of a cup of coffee or, you know, a role-playing game as well as some witchy stuff. Okay, fantastic. Do you know what? I, I think those really help because, you know, I only ever used to put on Instagram, like, you know, I've written a book, buy my book, buy my book, and I think you know, you start to build up a bit more relationship with people <clears throat> when they start to see who you are behind that behind that book cover. And obviously, you know, you've been able to accomplish a lot of that through your blog. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think that Instagram is, is a good way of giving people that kind of insight uh, into your life as well. Also, I found personally, it's easier to do like a one minute video about something. So people start to get a feel for who you are as well. Okay, fantastic. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoy talking to you today, not only about writing nonfiction, but particularly around, you know, uh, all the witchcraft stuff. I've learned loads. And, um, you know, I'm definitely going to be looking into into candle magic. I've, I did actually set out three candles here in the background. They are lit, but it's so bright you can't really you can't really see them yeah i'm definitely yeah. definitely going to give it give it a look of the evening um what i normally do is um because yeah just a little bit of tiny bit of candle magic if you buy a candle um obviously it's picked up all the energy from the people who handled that candle in the shop so if you put your okay. candles out under the in the windowsill under the full moon um to cleanse and charge your candles. And then when you light your candle, make a wish and visualise what it is you want to wish for. And uh, twilight is a good time to light a candle okay. because it's a liminal time. So there you go. <laughs> okay. Okay. That, you know what? That, that's really useful because I was going to finish on a question. Um, <laughs> you know, I've been thinking a lot about, you know, mental blocks and emotional resilience and, you know, bravery, you know, for writers. And, I have noticed talking to other full-time writers that lockdown has been really bad for them and they seem to have lost a lot of their oomph. So I was going to ask you if there's any particular candle magic that those writers can can do to give them a little push. It sounds like you've you've covered it. So it's um, cleanse your candle uh, on moonlight. Orange candle. Orange candles are An good. Orange um, candle. It's associated okay. with the god Mercury or, or Hermes, who is the god of communication. So um, it, it's the colour, it's the in the Western esoteric magical tradition, orange is the colour associated with, with Mercury or, or Hermes. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter. You can use a white candle. White candles are fine. But if you happen to have an orange candle, it has some extra symbolism. Okay, fantastic. Orange candle it is. Okay, thank you again, Alicia. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you.